Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoy this episode. When I was 21 years old, I inherited a pool cleaning business. Uh, I know, it's very impressive. Uh, and no, I will not help you clean your pool. Uh, so um, I, I was interning and uh, I needed some additional income and there was just some different things going on. And so there was this guy, incredibly kind, very generous guy. He had a pool cleaning business and he had grown it to a size to where he couldn't manage all of the pools and he was trying to cut back. And so he said, why don't I give you half of this business and you can start your own thing. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. So I went out and did what everybody would do in that situation. I bought a brand new 1982 Datsun long bed pickup truck. Uh, That's a joke. It wasn't new, you guys. It was beat up. So thank you. Uh, I wasn't 21 in 1982. Um, I am getting older, but not that old. Uh, It was beautiful. The truck was beautiful, you guys. It had furry seat covers. It uh, rode about six inches above the ground. Uh, it had everything that I needed for this pool cleaning business. And so I would sit down. The guy's name was Guillermo, and, and he was telling me about, you know, here's what to do. And I spent some time with him going on the route and, and watching and, and going through the process of, okay, here's basic. You know, everybody kind of understands gener- generally how to clean a pool, but if there's some challenges or problems, here's some things to know. And, and then he would sit down, and he gave me this route and all these different addresses and And he sat down and he pulled out this map and he unfolded it and then unfolded it more and more and more. And it was this massive map and he was trying to show me what this route was, Uh, trying to find us on the map and then all these different homes and this, that and the other thing. And in my mind, I was like, oh, I'm going to revolutionize the pool cleaning industry here. (laughs) And so I went out and I got what was called a Palm Pilot. Do you guys know what those are? You're not laughing, so I assume you might not even know what it is. But it was high-end technology, and I paid the extra money, and I got the GPS navigation service on it as well. So me and my Datsun pickup truck and my Palm Pilot attached, uh, we, we went out. We hit the streets. And I had a pool cleaning business, and I was so excited. So after about a week, I went, and I met up with Guillermo again, and I showed him this Palm Pilot. I was like, check this out, Guillermo. Like, you got that whole paper situation, but look at this. And he was very confused. Uh, he didn't quite understand what a Palm Pilot was. He was a little bit of an older guy, so he didn't, the whole technology, he just couldn't understand. It was easier to look at the paper for him than to see this, this map, this navigation system. And anyways, I, I did it for about a year and a half, and I was terrible at it. So I'm no longer a pool cleaner, but, uh, but when we talk about pools, and also I just heard the kids screaming. Those are good screams. Uh, the last Sunday of every month, they get to win tickets and buy prizes from the kids' store. So if you guys are ever bored in here, uh, we're always looking for volunteers to help make a ruckus in our kids' ministry. So, uh, But uh, we have been in this series called Four Short Words. Um, And we've been looking at the overarching story of Scripture. And we started off in Genesis and this idea that we are uh, made in the image of 
the creator and sustainer of life, that we are of God. And then we realize that through sin, there was a space between us and God. There was a gap. And, and the Old Testament, uh, all of the Old Testament is really God trying to bridge this gap between us. And he did it through uh, the Ten Commandments, through temples, prophets, priests, all these different ways to be able to come close to us still because God still wanted a relationship with us. Last week, we looked at uh, this word, with, which ultimately is best seen in Jesus, uh, who was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we went from of to between to with, and we're wrapping up the series today. And we're not only looking at this because we want to understand our own lives, but it's been a great opportunity for us to understand what is the overarching story of the Bible? What is the point? What's the message of the Bible? What is, how do we understand the themes of the scriptures? Because there's a lot of them. There's a lot of scriptures, a lot of verses, a lot of books. And, and what does it mean for us to understand the overarching story? And so we've been trying to condense it down. And, and, and as I think about this idea of my 1982 Datsun pickup and my Palm Pilot and my navigation system that I used... Uh, I think about it a little bit in light of our understanding of the way that God has been connecting with us. Maps are this kind of static, generic thing. You have to read and, and interpret and kind of follow the, the specifics. Uh, oftentimes, when I was younger, I would get directions from a friend or from my stepdad, and he would tell me, like, oh, you know this, uh, that restaurant that we ate at that one time? Yeah, you hang a left there. And it's a little bit more personal. And so there's this idea of these instructions that are personal to me of, of how I can navigate and find my way around. And, and ultimately, this is what we experience in, in some ways in, in the Gospels with Jesus walking and talking and speaking specifically to people at a specific time. But the GPS system, the navigation, the Palm Pilot knew exactly where I was and it knew exactly what I needed. And now we have it on our phones and we have it on everything. My son uh, he li we live two blocks from his elementary school. We got him an Apple Watch so we can call him and keep track of him, things like that. Uh, and uh, he was walking home from school one day, and he put our address in the maps on his phone. It, you just literally turn left and walk two blocks, and you're at our house. But he wanted to make sure. The, it's, it's available for everyone. And if you're driving, like you know you've had the experiences where you miss a turn, and it lets you know. It's like you missed a turn turn around or it'll reroute you. It's specific. It'll tell you if there's traffic. It'll tell you sometimes if there's police officers hiding, looking for you. Uh, there's all these ways and it's very specific to exactly who you are, where you are, where you're trying to go in that specific moment. And today what we're talking about is this idea of God's presence, not only with us through Jesus, but ultimately in us. God dwells in us. It's hard to imagine, especially for Jesus' followers, it was hard to imagine something being better than interacting with and walking with Jesus in real time, sitting at a table with Jesus, sharing meals with, seeing Jesus heal and do miracles and all these things. It would have been impossible to imagine anything better than that, but Jesus kept talking about something else that was going to come. And in John chapter 14, we get a glimpse of what that was. John 14, verse 1, Jesus is speaking, and he's, uh, he says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also trust in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? 
When everything is ready, I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. And all the disciples are nodding their heads. Yeah, of course we do. Except for Thomas, who said, no, we don't. (laughs) We don't, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Like Thomas is very confused about this entire conversation. What, what What are you talking about? You're leaving you're going to prepare a house for us. You're going to come get us. We know the way. Like this all is very challenging to understand for them because we have the benefit of hindsight. We, we understand what the story is, but in that moment, it was overwhelming and confusing and, and probably a little bit scary for them. It goes on in verse 12. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done, which on its own is like, what? You've done a lot, Jesus. <laughs> the same works, and he says, even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Okay, so again, it's important that we slow down and kind of wrap our minds around this. Jesus is with the disciples. He'd been teaching and healing and doing miracles. They believed that he was the Messiah, and in this conversation, Jesus says, you know what? You're going to do just the same kind of stuff as I am. Actually, you're going to do even more incredible things than I've done because I'm not going to be here. And that doesn't make any sense because they have no power. They can't do miracles. They don't have wisdom. They didn't understand half of what Jesus was teaching them. There is a sense of disconnect. What what could you possibly mean? We're going to do even greater works. And then in verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. The Holy Spirit lives with you now and later will be in you. The fourth word that we're looking at this series uh, is the word in. Everybody say in together. Uh, of, between, with, and in. I think that at times we can uh, poke fun at um, or um, not understand what the disciples were confused about. How could you get these teachings wrong? Of course Jesus was going to be crucified. Of course he was going to be resurrected. It's all this hindsight that we have the benefit of seeing the story play out. But the reality of in this conversation, they were experiencing the most incredible, powerful, beautiful picture of God's love. God with us, Emmanuel. They were living life with and interacting with the creator and sustainer of life. And so what do you mean you're going to go away? And what do you mean that there's going to be another that comes and lives in us? It would have been incredibly confusing. Jesus is trying to describe something to them that had never existed before and they had no frame of reference for. It was the same as when I went back a week after I started cleaning pools and tried to show Guillermo my Palm Pilot with the additional navigation feature. He had no frame of reference for that. And obviously, look who won. We're all still using Palm Pilots, right? (laughs) Just kidding. 
But there, or the other end of the spectrum is uh, I recently tried to explain to my eight-year-old what a telephone is. <laughs> Not a cell phone or an iPhone, but a telephone. Some of you grew up with these. They were attached to your kitchen wall, and you would stretch out the cord trying to get as far away from your family as possible. And if you tried to call your friends, you knew that you would probably have to talk to their parents for a minute first. Hi, Mrs. Smith. Is Brian home? You know, like, there's no frame of reference. He doesn't understand that. The same way I don't understand when my parents were growing up, they had operators that would plug in cords or wires or something. Like, operator, who do you want to talk to? I don't even know how to explain it. I have no frame of reference for this. The disciples' minds would have been absolutely blown, confused. They would have been uh, frustrated, asking questions just like Thomas was. No, we don't know. What are you talking about? And it's such a fascinating thing for us. But the disciples needed something different, and Jesus understood that. The beauty of, of God with us in Jesus is that we got to see a fully human and fully God person we could walk with, listen to, speak to. The beauty of God with us is that it's not these ideas that are out there, but it's actually this is what it looks like to live in the way that God's called us to live. But the physical limbs of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus also limited who he was able to interact with. Jesus could only be one place at one time. Right now, there's about 8 billion people on the world. And if you were to think of the largest gathering that you've ever been to, maybe it's Coachella, uh, stagecoach. Uh, I don't know what that is, but if you were to think of soccer games or football games, stadiums, I mean, if, if you were to think of like the Rose Bowl or, or these crazy places that are full of massive amounts of people, and you were to subtract that from the 8 billion people in the world, there would still be a lot of people left. <laughs> like physically, Jesus was in one space, and Jesus understood that there is a world full of people and there will be generations and generations and generations of people. And Jesus is speaking this idea that if I go and when I go, the spirit will come and dwell in you and not just the people that are around the spirit, but in all people who have put their trust in me. It's such an important piece for us to understand this. The power of Jesus's presence was confined to our proximity with him. But our lives and our world and culture and relationships, everything is changing and we need dynamic answers to difficult questions. And, and we need someone who understands exactly where we are at, not just generic wisdom, but also specific help and strength and teaching and wisdom. And, and this is what we find in the Holy Spirit. For those of us, we can learn from the words of Jesus and we should learn from the words of Jesus. We can be encouraged by the way Jesus lived and that is, that is the hope. But for us to experience the ability to change, to see things different in our lives, to see things healed that were broken, to, to experience confidence in areas that we've not experienced confidence in before, that is the gift of the Holy Spirit living in us. And the rest of the New Testament is really about the story of God going from just being with us through Jesus to ultimately living in us, dwelling in us through the Spirit. 
after Jesus' resurrection, he comes back and, and he's with the disciples and um, they're sitting around a table and Jesus starts to speak. And you can almost imagine what they're thinking in that, in that moment. They're like, okay, he's done all these miracles. He's taught all this, I mean, incredible wisdom. He's changed all of these lives. Uh, he was crucified, which was like a huge bummer. And I didn't think he was going to come back from that, but then he did. We thought he was going to overthrow Rome. We thought that the power was going to come and destroy all of our enemies. Then he was resurrected, and, and it didn't happen yet, but now he's gathering. I bet this is it. This is the moment where he lays out his plan, where he unfolds his paper map to explain to us exactly how he's going to smite our enemies, how he's going to be the savior we assumed or imagined through the power of the heavenly armies but in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 8, we start to read a different storyline. Jesus says to them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. And he's not talking about, like, I told you not to leave. He's saying that thing that I told you about before, that verse that we just read in John, it's going to be here. I told you about it. Then I was crucified and it's, it's still coming. It's still coming. Verse 8, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus says, The Holy Spirit, this, this thing that I told you was going to come, is going to come, and it's going to give you power. Not power to be the most successful person in your industry, not power to revolutionize your fishing business or your pool cleaning business, not power to overwhelm your enemies. It's going to give you power to be my witnesses. And then he says, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he's essentially making concentric circles, power to change the world as we know it. The Spirit is going to live in and dwell in you. According to Jesus, the Holy Spirit would give us a power and a purpose and transform the relationship that we have with God. And it's so important for us to understand this because oftentimes we kind of categorize things when we think about God, we think about our faith, we think about God the Father as this kind of ethereal, out there, in space, in the sky type of thing. We think about Jesus as the nice one, the one that we love, that did the miracles, and, and that's the one that we're going to, you know, like this is the God that I love, like this Jesus. And then when we talk about the Holy Spirit, some of us are just like, and then there's the other one, <laughs> that third part of the Trinity. And we don't totally understand what is What's going on? What does it mean for us to be changed? What does it mean for us to experience power from the Holy Spirit? What does it mean for us to not only experience power, but also have a different type of purpose and, and for our, trans, our relationship with our Heavenly Father, our relationship with God to be transformed because the Spirit lives inside of us? And I want to take some time this morning and talk about what does it mean that God dwells in us through His Spirit? So the disciples, after they have this conversation with Jesus, they listen to his words. 
They go into the city and they crowd into a room together. And then there's a scene that unfolds in Acts chapter 2. It says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. Just this overwhelming sound. It filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. When they heard this noise, it sounded like this mighty wind. Everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. There's a lot of uh, conversations, questions, curiosity, fear. I mean, it, it sparked all kinds of things. And then a few verses later in verse 14, Peter stands up. And Peter is one of the disciples. You might recognize his name. Peter was the one that uh, wanted to walk on water. Peter was like the brash, kind of like always the first to jump in until Jesus was being tried and people came up and said, hey, aren't you one of Jesus's disciples? And Peter repeatedly three times said, I don't know him and denied even knowing who Jesus was. Peter stands up and in verse 14, just a few weeks, maybe less, after denying even knowing who Jesus was, Peter stepped forward with the other 11 apostles and shouted to the crowd that had gathered there, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. He is shouting to the crowds of people that had gathered, I want you to listen and be very clear on what's happening. And then he goes on to, pre to preach this sermon, this powerful message of the hope that is available in Jesus, to pre preach the truth about who Jesus was and ultimately what it meant that he was crucified and resurrected and the life that we have available to us the change that's available to us. Peter, the one that just days before had denied Christ, is preaching this powerful message. And it says that over 3,000 people on that day believed in who Jesus was. Peter, who by all accounts hadn't done a whole lot, all of a sudden was empowered to be Jesus's witness and had somehow already done incredible things just like Jesus had done in the way he preached. It's so important for us to understand that, that something obviously had changed. The Holy Spirit transformed their relationship with God to being something that was outside of them to something that was internal, that there was this transformation that was happening that and these changes, people could see the changes. We can see the changes. These disciples that were always confused and misunderstanding what Jesus was teaching about are now the ones that are going out and teaching about the ways of Jesus, teaching the message of Jesus. These ones that went from not understanding to now being the primary teachers about it. The same disciples that used to argue over 
who would be first in heaven, who would have the most power in heaven, are now going out and they're giving away all of the stuff that they have to people that are in need. These are people that, you know, not long ago were worried about making sure that they had what they needed to be in power and are now, for some reason, generous and sharing and giving and caring and and reaching out to other people. These disciples who hid during the crucifixion were now being persecuted and ultimately many of them were killed because they proclaimed the truth about who Jesus was. There was a crazy change that happened in their lives. There was a huge transformation that happened. You you can see it. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, and then you start reading through the book of Acts, it's like, are these the same people? How many years later was this? No, it was this massive change because the Spirit of God filled them and lived inside of them. It changed who they were in a powerful way. Paul later wrote it this way. He said, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And what that meant for the disciples is that they became more selfless, more generous, more caring, more intentional, more bold, more confident, more humble, more sacrificial because the spirit that was in them, the best parts of them was powerfully changed by the spirit of God, transformed. And for us, we're no longer dependent on our own power or our own wisdom or our own own ability to change ourselves. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, that spirit lives in you and in I. And this is what the New Testament is teaching us about how do we navigate life? How do we experience transformation? How do we allow our minds to be made new, to think differently? How do we allow our hearts to be transformed? How do we become people who love others who are unlike us? How do we give ourselves away to people that are in need? How do we live lives where we're willing to care about others more than ourselves? We can't do it on our own. The spirit that lives in us is able to do it. And there's so many verses that talk about what the Holy Spirit does for us, but I picked just eight things because I think these are things that all of us long for. The first one is that the spirit comforts us. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been through anything difficult in your lives. Thank you. Uh, There's these moments in our lives, and maybe you've experienced these, but there's these moments in our lives as Christians where it feels like chaos has broken out, and maybe it has, where it feels like devastation has come, loss, grief, pain, uh, betrayal. All, I mean, you could, whatever ways you would want to slice this, we've experienced these moments, and in the middle of those times, we've had some sort of ability to feel comfort, to feel a sense of peace. Over and over again, Scripture tells us that that's possible because of the Holy Spirit. It's not because I've got it under control, because as I don't need to tell you, I don't. It's not because I've figured out a way to solve all of these problems. It's because the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me, and it's able to give me a sense of peace and comfort that even though this is massive and painful and dark and brutal and all of these different things, somehow... I will make it through it. Somehow, God is still with me in the midst of it and can use even the most painful things for good. I can't spend that long on all eight of these. Uh, 
The Holy Spirit affirms what we hope to be true. In Romans chapter 8, it says that the Holy Spirit confirms in our heart that we are God's loved children. On my own, on my best days, I can believe that God feels okay about me, that God maybe feels a sense of obligation to love me because he made me. In my humanity, that's, that's on average what it looks like. But the Spirit reminds me and it teaches me in my heart that that's not true. God loves me as his own child. Uh, the Holy Spirit teaches us. Jesus talked about this. When he talked about the Holy Spirit coming, he said, he will teach you in the ways of righteousness and remind you of what I taught you. Uh, the Holy Spirit convicts us, which is so crucial. And I pray that the Spirit will convict my children every day. And I should pray that the Spirit will convict me, that it'll tell me what is right, what is wrong. It'll help me navigate things that there's not easy black or white answers to. Not everything is ones and zeros. Not everything is yes or no. There's nuance and gray and pain, but the Holy Spirit helps us understand the best way to navigate these decisions. It empowers us just like it did Peter, this terrified, scared person who denied even knowing Jesus, was able to stand in, in the face of Thousands and thousands of people with this power, and we're empowered. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us, and that's a churchy word. It kind of means prayer. The Holy Spirit is a go-between between our Heavenly Father and us. The Holy Spirit prays on our behalf, is what Romans says. The Holy Spirit strengthens us because we can't make it on our own. And there's times when the Holy Spirit is able to give us a strength to navigate things and to make it through things that we could never have on our own. And it gives us wisdom. It, it helps us understand how we can live life in the best way. These are all things that all of us want and all of us need day to day. And it's interesting to me because I think for so many of us, we believe in the hope of Jesus we believe in the love and the grace of Jesus. We, we celebrate God with us in flesh in Jesus. And we don't fully understand that it gets better. And that's what Jesus wanted us to know. It will be better if I go, because then the Spirit can come and dwell in each of us, empowering us to do things like Jesus did, and even more. All throughout the scripture, in the New Testament, it talks about how we are all part of the body of Christ, that we're not all the same. Each of us are different. We're unique. We have different gifts and callings and abilities and passions, and that's not an accident. And believing in Jesus doesn't mean that you have to become a different person it means that who you are is transformed and the Holy Spirit empowers those unique gifts and skills and passions and it fuels us to be able to pursue those things. This is what God is calling us to. Jesus described the goal oftentimes to his disciples as being able to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That was the prayer that we were taught to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there is a piece for us that I think is important to recognize that what started in the garden of this beautiful goodness, and then we are made in God's image 
and he says that we are very good. And we're called to continue to create and cultivate and, and celebrate and enjoy life and goodness and spread it out further and further beyond. This is our original calling. And through the Spirit, this is our calling still to continue to cultivate and create goodness, to continue to put God on display. And some of you guys are like, yeah, but I don't know that I want to be a missionary or a pastor or, you know, I, I kind of like being an engineer or a you know, painter or whatever the various jobs are that we have. And, and what I love so much is that we're not all called to be the same thing. But God has put his spirit inside each of us to empower us where we're planted, to be his witnesses, to share the good news, to live a different life, to, to model a different possibility, to, to model what does it mean to be able to have peace in the middle of a storm, because people want peace. To model what does it mean to have courage in the midst of intimidating spaces because everybody wants that kind of courage. And it's not because I've cracked the code and I've figured it out. It's because I've recognized that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me and lives in you. And we're invited into this journey. God wants you to leverage everything that he put in you to build something bigger than you. We are a part of this beautiful story. We are invited to participate in God's story of redemption. He doesn't need us. He chooses to use us. He wants to participate with us in reaching the people around us with the hope of the world, to sharing what we have with others who are in need. He wants to work through us as his hands and his feet. Power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is fully available to every follower of Jesus. Um, I don't know about you guys. Uh, I, we all have kind of different ways that we grew up. I grew up in a Methodist church, um, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Methodist church. A lot of robes, uh, choirs, an organ, and on the rowdy Sundays, there would be a pianist also. Uh, and I, there's a lot of things. I didn't necessarily love it when I was a kid, but when I look back and go to a Methodist church now, there's a lot of things I'm like, man, I really, I love some of these components. So I'm going to start wearing robes. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> Bath robes. Uh, no. Um, when my dad, uh, when we weren't at our Methodist church, we would go to, uh, there was a Southern Baptist church that we would go to, which is really different. Uh, I don't know if you guys have been to both of those kind of churches. There's a lot of differences. And there was a lot of things that we really liked about that. They had an acoustic guitar at that church. It was crazy. <laughs> when we didn't go to that church, there was times he would take us to his friend's church. It was about an hour away, and it was a Pentecostal church. And there was banners and tambourines and shouting <laughs> and all things that I, I had no idea. I had no frame of reference for these things. And so as we talk about this, what I want to just articulate is I recognize that whether you grew up in a specific kind of church or whether you didn't grow up in church at all, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we all have a different picture that comes to mind of what that looks like. It means different things. Some of you may be excited. Some of you may be nervous. Some of you may be confused or, or not know what's going on. And here's something that um, my mentor said to me and some other pastors. We were doing this study on the Holy Spirit, and, and we all came from very different backgrounds. And he said, one thing that we can all agree on, regardless 
of, you know, your specific theological beliefs about the Holy Spirit is exactly what it looks like or, or all these different things. One thing we can all agree on is that we all want more of God's presence and power in our lives. And this is a prayer that any of us can pray. And it's not because God isn't here or that the Holy Spirit isn't already in us. It's that somehow we can wake up to the reality of God's presence in us and we can ask God to fill us more, to fill us up. We can ask God to to give us the strength that is available, to give us wisdom, power, peace, comfort. And this morning as we close out the series and this message, I want us to have an opportunity to respond. I want us to have an opportunity to come awake to the reality of God's presence with us, but also his power in us. Um, there's a, an author, he had this quote, I used it last Sunday. He said, God comes where he's invited. And I believe that God is everywhere. And I also believe that God loves to be invited in. And we have that opportunity in each moment to become more aware of the spirit in us. And so I would love to have some time as we close out the service. We're ending the message on the early side in case anyone's counting and keeping track because I want to give us some time to pray, to respond, to sing, to to understand what God may be inviting us to step into. And so I'd love for you guys to bow your heads and pray with me. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized, or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa, and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.